Well, good morning, everyone. It's good to see you here in person and those online. We're in a series, actually we're finishing today, Learning to Hear God, and today's topic is Godly Guidance. And we've been using a little formula about communication levels, <laughs> and that's this, that first level is you have to hear it. And as I'm getting older, it's just a little more difficult. Um, but you've got to hear what the other person uh, is saying to you. Now, sometimes, unfortunately, you don't understand what the person is saying to you. And um, occasionally my wife will say something, and, and men and women, I think, in general, have a different way of communicating. And sometimes, not often, I'm not quite understanding what she means by what she's saying or I'm hearing. So understanding is an important level in communication. And then especially in a, in a relation, well, any relationship, especially an intimate relationship, uh, a growing relationship, a deepening relationship, you need this, with God, we use the word obey. We don't really obey our spouses, but we heed the request. So my wife says, uh, would you please take out the trash? And I would say, I'm sh sure, and I take out the trash. I am following through on the information I've received. So that produces growth, it produces maturity, it produces intimacy, uh, growing our relationship. Now, we've been talking about hearing God, but anytime you and I talk to God, we are coming with some kind of issue, or issues, I should say. So even though we should spend time listening, we're, we're not in a vacuum. We have things going on in our life, and we are asking God to connect with those, those issues, respond to those issues. So we're going to spend a little bit of time of saying how to ask, and then we're going to spend most of the time looking at how to hear, <clears throat> and we'll finish this series up. So the part about asking, we're going to look at something Jesus' brother by the name of James wrote, and uh, it's kind of cool that Jesus' brother was a, a leader in the church, and we've got something that, that he wrote that we can read. Uh, so we're going to talk about four different things important about asking. First is you have to acknowledge the need. Otherwise, you wouldn't ask. Uh, the, the old uh, joke is that men won't stop and ask directions, right? Um, now, with GPS, we don't really have to. It makes it a little easier. But um, you have to acknowledge your need. And that's the first... Uh, Anybody that's in a recovery program, that's the first step. You have to acknowledge your need and seek for help. Well, no bigger person to ask for help than God, and so we have to acknowledge a need so that we'll ask. So James puts it this way, if any of you lacks wisdom, what do you mean by wisdom? To guide him through a decision or circumstance. So you and I have a, some circumstance, some issue, some decision to make. If we don't know what to do, or we're not sure what to do, James said, well, ask God. He knows everything, right? So ask God. Now, part of our problem is we like to be self-sufficient. And so we try and do it ourselves, and often we won't help ask for help until we can't do it ourselves, or we mess it up. But James is saying, hey, it's a good, a good idea, if you want wisdom, to ask for it. Ask God. <clears throat> One translation uses this term, uh, practical discernment. Okay, God, I want something practical, and I want discernment, wisdom. Help me make this decision. So, 
I'm in that situation. Okay, God, here's my situation. I've got this issue with uh, uh, my spouse or my kids or my parents. I've got this issue in my finances and my health. I'm going to share a story about my wife's health here in a few minutes. So you ask. Admit you have a need. Secondly, when you ask, ask specifically. Just gonna, sometimes I think we have this tendency to go to God and say, God, just make my life good or bless me. Well, no, no, no. You need to ask specifically. If your kid comes to you and said, Mom, Dad, bless me, what are you going to do? <laughs> if they say, hey, I'm hungry, give me something to eat, you feed them. Or, you know, I've got a cut on my hand, can you, can you bandage it up? So, same thing with God, ask specifically. And James just says, ask. Ask of our benevolent God, he uses that word, God is benevolent. It's not like you're trying to beg Him to give you something. He's benevolent, He wants to give it if you ask for it. And just like a good parent, if you're asked for something that's, that is beneficial to you, your par parent is most likely to give it to you. So he says, this benevolent God of ours gives to everyone generously. He's not stingy, he's generous, and without rebuke or blame. Sometimes I think, ah, oh, God, I don't want to bother you with this, or, you know. No, 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 he's not going to complain about anything you ask, just ask. In fact, God cares more about the things that you may ask Him about than you do because He's more aware, more aware of the situation, more aware of the solution. <clears throat> so again, whatever the situation is, be specific. You know, I have this issue, my wife and I can't work out, and our, it's, it's disrupting our relationship. God, help me with and fill in the blank. Or I've got this health issue, God, I don't know what to do. Should I go see the doctor? Uh, should I, whatever, be specific. Now, in Scripture, in the Bible, especially in the Gospels, we are told at least, oh, more than, 50, uh, more than 20 times, excuse me, let me get it right, more than 20 times to ask, ask, ask. Um, I reminded the story of this little guy named Samuel. He was in the temple, and Eli's the, the head priest, and he, um, Samuel's woken up at night, Here's his voice saying, Samuel, Samuel. And he runs to Eli and says, what do you want? And Eli says, I didn't call you. And he goes back to sleep. Here's his voice. He runs to Eli. What do you want? Sam, this is three times. Third time, Sam, uh, Eli's wise enough to say, okay, Samuel, <laughs> God's trying to speak to you. And so the next time he says, hey, Samuel, respond. I'm here, God. I'm listening. So ask uh, specifically uh, what you need. Thirdly, expect God to answer. You ever pray for something and didn't expect God to answer? I'm guilty. Somebody's terminally ill and I'm praying for them to get well, but I don't really believe they're going to get well. Uh, might be something about the government. I don't really think it's going to get better, unfortunately. Uh, but no, we need to truly expect God to answer. James puts it this way, and it'll be given to you. Ask and it'll be given to you. Now, everything I ask for, I'm going to get. Would a good parent give a child, say, oh, I want to eat ice cream 24-7? Is a parent going to do that? No, a parent's not going to do that. And same thing with our Heavenly Father. He's not going to give us what's not good for us. And we're going to talk about this in the next series because there is some confusion about some scripture says, ask and it'll be given to you. Just like this one says, well, Everything? No, not everything. Uh, we'd all be 
better looking than we are, right? <laughs> and we'd have more money and uh, uh, be healthier and uh, wouldn't have to work out and all these things. No, no, no. So we'll talk about that in the next series. <clears throat> but it also says in James, you don't have because you don't ask. So if your kids complain about being hungry uh, but didn't ask to be fed, then, you know, you can't expect it to get something you don't ask for. Now, God does give us many things we don't ask for. Uh, don't get me wrong. But ask, and it will be given to you. And then, lastly, believe God wants to help. Sometimes we get this idea that God's too busy or God, my issue is not big enough. Believe God wants to help. Notice the way James says it this way. <clears throat> but he, us, you and I, must ask for this wisdom, uh, practical discernment, in faith. And that's where we're going in the next series. Without doubting. Doubting what? God's willingness to help. God wants to help. Uh, one translation says single-minded commitment. Like, okay, sometimes we... I think we want to ask God, okay, God, I want your opinion on this, but then I'll decide if I want to do it or not. Um, we treat God's advice, I'll use that word, God's advice as human advice. You come to me and ask my advice on something, I'll tell you, but I'm not going to insist on you doing what I say, um, and you're not going to feel like you have to do what I say. But if we're smart... We will be singly-minded, singly committed to what God says because He's all-wise. So He's not going to give us bad advice. I might give you bad advice. God's never going to give you bad advice. So be careful that you and I don't treat it as human advice. <laughs> and one translation uses this term. I don't think I've heard it before. Worry prayers. I thought, well, that's what happens when you do it doubting. I'm praying, but I'm still worrying. Well, if you're still worrying... In fact, someone said you can't pray and worry at the same time, but <laughs> I think you can. I'm praying and I'm still worrying about this. Um, that's the, the illustration here. If the next verse is that it's like a wave tossed, <laughs> tossing about as a wave. So we need to be singly minded, committed, believe God wants to help, ask, and we will receive. So, okay, so I've asked. How do I hear? How do I receive guidance from God? How do I receive wisdom from God? Now, we're going to look at a part of the Bible that some of you probably have never read. <laughs> it's a little book in the end of the Old Testament called Habakkuk. Uh, Deb and I always laugh about this. We used to be missionaries in Portugal. And, of course, in different languages, you pronounce things differently. Well, they don't pronounce <coughs> the H in, in, in Portuguese. So this book is called Abacuc in Portuguese. Just a fun word to say, right? Everybody say it. Abacuc. <laughs> it's just a fun word to say it. But in English, it's Habakkuk. Well, that's the way we pronounce it. Anyway, this prophet lived about 2,600 years ago in Israel, of course, and he's all upset. He's upset because the Babylonians are going to come in and kind of uh, take, take control of the, uh, of the country, and it looks like bad people or evil people are winning and the good people are suffering. And, and so he spends, it's only a three-chapter book. He spends the first chapter asking God or complaining to God like ten questions. Okay? 
You and I probably do the same thing. We ask God, okay, why is this happening or why isn't this happening? So that's what he does in the first chapter. So then we're going to get to the second chapter Well, he's going to listen. First thing I can say, withdraw to a quiet place. He climbs up into a watchtower. <laughs> that's what it says in, in chapter 2, verse 1. I will climb up into my watchtower and stand at my guard post. So he's off a, somewhere uh, quiet. It's also someplace he can see. <clears throat> and he's going to listen. You've got to have quiet to listen. Uh, is, notice how difficult it is when there's a lot of noise to hear. Um, so he's going to get in a quiet place. So it's really important for you and I to get in a quiet place if we want to hear God. Now we know that we mentioned how God shouts to us in our pain, but most of the time He doesn't shout, does He? Uh, in fact, do you ever hear God yell? I don't think I've ever heard God yell. Um, so, Scripture talks about a still, small voice. So if you're going to hear a still, small voice, you've got to have quiet. Really means to have get rid of distractions. <laughs> and we all have plenty of distractions, right? Plenty of noise. And Jesus did this repeatedly in the gospel. Jesus said, I got to get away. You got to get quiet. You got to spend some time talking to my father or listening to my father. Now, we all have excuses why we can't do that. So I love this illustration. Susanna Wesley was the mother of Charles and his brother. I'm trying to think of his name. <laughs> anyway, they were, uh, Charles uh, started the Methodist church and his brother wrote a bunch of hymns and she had 18 children this was a couple hundred years ago <laughs> people had big families so how in the world with 18 children do you have quiet so we're told this is what she would do she would sit down in the middle of the day she'd sit down in her rocking chair and put her apron over her head and she taught her kids all her kids when that apron's over my head shush because I'm talking to God. So if there's a will, there's a way. So you and I need to find a way and be committed enough to find quiet. And for most of us, it's not really that difficult. We don't have 18 kids, right? Okay, so quiet. We need quiet to hear God. Secondly, <clears throat> watch internally and externally. Now, this second or the rest of the first verse is just fascinating. Because there's uh, two words in here that don't seem to go together. So let's look at the verse. There, where? Up in the quiet place, I will wait to see what the Lord says. Oh, wait, wait, wait a minute. We don't see what is said. We hear what is said, right? But notice, he didn't say that. He says, to see what the Lord says. And now this makes sense to me because I've never, ever heard God's audible voice. Some people I've talked to have heard God's audible voice. I've never heard it. So anytime I hear God, it's not through my ears. Does that make sense? Now, I do hear Scripture out loud. I do hear preachers preach out loud. I do hear that. But in reality, I'm processing it through my mind, through mental pictures, if you will. And so, I'm going to see what the Lord says and how He will answer my complaint. He admits he, He's complaining. <clears throat> now, there's all kinds of examples in Scripture. Uh, some people in Scripture had 
God spoke to them through dreams. They saw things. Others were visions, prophets in the Old Testament. Um, uh, Isaiah had this vision. New Testament, uh, the ladies are studying a Bible study, uh, Revelation. Revelation is a vision that God gave to John. So these are things that people saw how God spoke to them. Now, a little bit of warning here. and I mentioned this a, uh, a little bit before. Anything that God can create, anything of value can be counterfeited. Now, God's a creator, but Satan isn't. But he will counterfeit the things that God makes. Now, important thing about counterfeit. You only counterfeit things of va- uh, that are real and of value. My mother-in-law, who used to work in a bank, told me this. She said, uh, you know the way they train the tellers to see counterfeits? They don't show them a bunch of counterfeit bills. You know what they show them? They show them real bills. And if you know the real thing, the false thing pops out, right? So same thing with you and I. When we are looking at messages from God, if we know God well, if we know truth well, then Satan's counterfeit will stand out. Um, So you don't counterfeit things that that aren't real. There's no $3 counterfeit bills. Why is there not a $3 counterfeit bill? Because there's no real ones. And you don't counterfeit plastic bags because plastic bags have no, basically no value. So we have to be careful because there is, uh, we talked about impressions. Satan tries to put false impressions on our mind. And Satan doesn't give you 100% lie. He gives you 90% truth and 10% lie, right? Otherwise, you wouldn't listen to it. So, unfortunately, I would say there's preachers on TV and, of course, on the Internet that are false teachers. I believe I'm, a, I'm not a false teacher, <laughs> and a lot of preachers aren't false teachers, but there are false teachers. And, again, 90% of what they'll say will be good, but then there's that other part. And so if I listen to a preacher for a while and I start to see that 10%, I'll realize this is a false teacher. Now, you can gain stuff from the good part, but the, the counterfeit part is really dangerous. And there's one thing that's really hurt, quote, unquote, the church is during COVID is, is uh, the lack of fellowship. Fellowship is a key ingredient of the church, being a part of God's family. And you just can't get that on the Internet. And we're glad you're watching, but you're lacking fellowship. But there's also counterfeit fellowship. I thought of an old beer commercial where guys are sitting around this campfire and they're drinking their beers and says, doesn't get any better than this. Well, yeah, it does. That's counterfeit fellowship. There isn't a connection you can get with guys drinking beer that you can get with, amongst believers. It's a level. So, we hear God through seeing internally or mentally, but we also hear God by seeing physically or circumstances. This is, I'm going to tell you a story about my wife's health. <clears throat> Wife has a medical issue, technically not serious. It's an issue that she addressed in uh, outpatient surgery like 18 years ago, and the problems come back. So she got to the place where, okay, God, Pain's not going away. I can't fix it. I got to go see a doctor. <clears throat> Who do you go to? How do you pick a doctor? So she first thought was, I'll use the same doctor I used 18 years ago. 
looked it up. She's uh, changed her practice. She's in Westminster. She's not doing the same kind of surgery. So she's looking around, and some guy, this one guy had some good five-star ratings and so forth. So she calls up his office, <clears throat> I think on Tuesday a week ago. And the lady said, well, the schedule will have to schedule it. So didn't hear anything on Wednesday. So in the day on Thursday, she finally calls back, and the lady answers, said, oh, I'm sorry. The, she doesn't work on Wednesday. I'm sorry she hadn't, hadn't called you back yet. I'll make sure she calls you back. Friday, she doesn't call. So it's Monday. So I say to her, I said, okay, try one more time with this office. If that doesn't work, we'll try some other office. So she calls back. The lady really apologetic. Then the lady that answered the receptionist scheduled her an appointment. And it was going to be a week out, and they said, wait, wait, wait a minute. Uh, I've got an appointment on Thursday, Thursday morning. So <clears throat> she goes to this doctor on Thursday morning. She uh, sits down and starts talking to this doctor, and the doctor, she explained, well, I tried to find the doctor did before. He said, oh, we used to share a practice. And she's moved on. So she found out about what happened to this doctor. And so she's basically in the same office, just a different doctor than she was before. So that's kind of cool, right? And the guy happens to be 63 years old, just like my wife is. I don't know if she minds me how old she is. But anyway, at the same age, so it's not some young 25-year-old doctor just doing his first surgeries. So she was comfortable with that. And, and the guy was real personal, and, she's talking, and they found out he goes on, uh, he's been to Africa on a missions trip. How many doctors do you get to do that? So... She has an appointment. The downside is she's got to wait six weeks for the surgery to be scheduled. But anyway, she calls me and tells me all this stuff, and my response to her is, I guess you found the right doctor. Obviously, we prayed about this. And physical circumstances confirmed to us, anyway, in this case, that this was God's answer to her medical need. Uh, so we need to, to see, hear God in, in, with our minds, but also see God in circumstances, how He's at work around us. So that's important. So God gives us those guidance. <clears throat> I would sometimes call it confirmation. So another way to receive God's guidance uh, from God, and Habakkuk says this in the next verse, God instructs him to write it down. Write my thoughts and observations. Uh, we can read the verse. The Lord said to me, Write my answer plainly on tablets. That's interesting. So that a runner can carry the correct message to others. So, if I'm going to communicate this to other people, best way is to write it down. Now, the fascinating thing to me is this guy wrote this 2,600 years ago, and we're still reading it. The only reason we can still read it is why? Because he wrote it down. I don't know about you, but it's your prayer time get boring sometimes. Mine has at times. And one time... Particularly, it got really boring. I had this long prayer list. And I would go through this, and I'd pray for this, and this, mostly people, this, 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 the government, and so forth. And I did it day after day after day. After a while, it, it had no meaning. It was boring. And so I, I admit to you, I don't have a long prayer list that I go through all the time. Um, that ceased to be meaningful to me. And I got to thinking about it in my relationship to my wife. If I just went through this long list every day and talking to her, that would be pretty boring too, wouldn't it? She'd stop listening to me. <laughs> but anyway, um, so write 
things down. Now, kind of a silly illustration, but, well, first off, um, I, part of my job is to, to read and to study and prepare to share with you folks. And a big part of that is I'm, when I'm studying, I'm writing things down that come to mind, right? Otherwise, I'm going to forget them. And this is what happens here. Here's the illustration. Uh, when I go running, I, I think about all this stuff when I go running. And I get these brilliant ideas when I'm running. But guess what happens when I get back home? Can't remember them at all. <laughs> so, so I thought maybe I'll stop and write them down or put them in my phone. But I haven't done that. I guess they weren't so brilliant after all. I thought they were at the time. Point being, you don't retain things if you don't write it down. And anything about writing things down in, in, in prayer is that you can go back and look at it again. Well, what did God say to me about that back then? Um, so it, it can be reused. <clears throat> in fact, I don't know if you ever thought about this. The only reason we have any of this, what we call the Bible, which we, most of us cherish, because people wrote it down. Can you imagine? We didn't, of course, we talked about the early church. They didn't, basically had no Bible because um, people didn't write things down. And eventually it had to be uh, collected. So, spend time writing. You want to help. Uh, it's a aid, aid to hear God uh, speak to you by writing. Uh, another way, a couple more and we'll be finished. How to receive God's guidance is the way and while you're waiting, calm your thoughts and emotions. Calm your thoughts and emotions. <clears throat> uh, next verse says this. <laughs> Habakkuk says, this vision, so he had a vision. He heard God through what he saw. Is for a future time. Well, everything's in the future, right? <laughs> it describes the end and it will be fulfilled. <clears throat> if it seems slow in coming, <clears throat> We're impatient, isn't he, right? He says, wait patiently. It's going to come. <clears throat> God's going to answer. It surely will take place. It will not be delayed. We mentioned God's never late. I don't know about you. When you're trying to listen to God, does your mind just race? I've got to do this, and I've got to do that, and I've got to do that. Here's another thing about writing. Write it down. Well, I've got to do this this afternoon to make sure I call somebody. Write that down. I can... Put that out of my mind. Now, I don't know about you, but for me, five, six, seven things can come to mind that I need to, to, rem to remember, and they're distractions, so I just write them down. I, I can focus. I can concentrate then. <clears throat> the other hindrance to a calm uh, mind and, is uh, what I call, um, we talked about this, condemnation. You ever spend time in prayer and you start confessing your sins and you start feeling horrible about yourself and I'm terrible and how could God love me and all this? And we talked about there's no condemnation in Christ Jesus. We should confess our sins. Uh, we should feel about that, bad about them. We should accept God's forgiveness and move on. I thought about this way. You ever been around somebody that's always putting you down? Is that fun? You like spending time with that person? No, and if your concept of God is somebody's always putting you down, uh, you're not going to spend much time with God, and you're certainly not going to listen to what it has to say. So we have to deal with those issues, the, the mind racing and with thoughts maybe of condemnation. So 
we've got to calm our bodies too. So I want everybody to join me and do something right now. Okay? You ready? Everybody take a deep breath. Don't you feel better physically? You do. I mean, this is not rocket science. Uh, you may need to get up and stretch, or you may need to do something else. But calm our mind, our emotions, and our uh, bodies. Bodies. In fact, I mean, some people like to pray uncomfortably. I try and get really comfortable when I pray. And I don't pray. Well, I do. I pray in bed when I go to sleep at night, but it's not my major prayer time. It's just something to put me to sleep. <laughs> but be comfortable. Um, it's much easier to communicate when you're comfortable. So I came across this cute little phrase, and I thought maybe it'd be helpful to us. <laughs> inner calm opens the inner calm with God. So, an aid to hearing God is to be calm in our bodies and spirits. Uh, I'm not talking about a new age thing, but just calm yourself so you can hear. And lastly, and this, this last part to me was just uh, fascinating. So, how to receive guidance from God? Worship. And we're going to call him the God of my strength as we read the passage. And that's one reason we worship together is we expect to receive something from God. I know I do. <clears throat> um, I do when I'm listening to the, uh, and participating in the praise, praise the worship time. Um, so, worship. Now, in this case, we're talking about private worship. So, Habakkuk has done his complaining, he's quiet himself, he's listening to God, and we get down to then the third chapter. I've heard all about you, Lord, and what? I'm filled with awe. I think many of us have lost our sense of awe with God. But he hadn't. He said, I'm filled with awe. Why? by your amazing works. You've done this, you've done this, you've done this. And I, all of us that are Jesus followers can look back at the amazing things God has done. Even if you're not, you probably can. Uh, in this time of our deep need, again, it looked like the Babylonians were going to come in and take over, and it did happen. Help us again as you did in years gone by. Now, that's important, right? <laughs> uh, things are bad, they're going to get worse, but you helped us in the past, God, so we just ask that you help us again. And in your anger, remember your mercy. One of the songs we sang was, mercy triumphs over judgment, right? Anger is judgment. And part of this uh, uh, was judgment on the Israelites for disobeying God. But I like a different term, <clears throat> and that's, um, discipline. Anger looks back to the past. Discipline is about helping improve your character, behavior in the future. So, he said, I'm in awe. Uh, awe is a good, good word for worship. Then notice, we're almost at the, we're like three verses from the end of the book. Notice what he says next. And this, this is the amazing thing to me. Okay? He, he's complaining about what's going to happen. And it looks like things are going to get worse. And so then he says, okay, let's imagine they get worse. Even though the fig trees have no blossoms, means there's no figs, even though there's no grapes on the vine, obviously there's no grapes or, or, or wine, 
even though the olive crop fails, so there's no olives or olive oil, the fields lie empty. So there's no produce. Empty and barren. Even though the flocks die, so there's no sheep, and the cattle barns are empty, there's no cattle. Now, you and I, at that situation, where are we? Right. I'm totally depressed. God, you didn't come through. Uh, I'm wasting my time talking to you, whatever it is. But again, this is, I see it as God's loving discipline. And so, what Habakkuk is asking he realizes it's not going to happen now, is it? He believes it's going to happen, but it's not going to happen now. And you and I need to be okay with that. That's part of that patience part, right? Yeah, it's going to happen, but it's not going to happen now. So notice how he ends. Yet. Okay, it's going to look horrible. <laughs> it's going to be disaster. Yet, sounds probably worse than your situation or mine. Yet, I will rejoice in the Lord. What? <laughs> what are you talking about, Habakkuk? I will be joyful in the God of my salvation. So there's something you and I can always hold on to, right? No matter how badly things look, God, you saved me. You entered into this relationship with me. I can rejoice in that. And then notice his last sentence. The sovereign Lord is my strength. I love that word sovereign. That's a word we don't use very often. Uh, in the, the secular world, when we, we had kings, or I guess there's still kings around. Uh, at one part of history, kings, especially in Old Testament, you can see this, kings were declared sovereign, which means whatever they said went. And a couple of times in the Old Testament, people got in trouble. <laughs> uh, the king made a, made a, a law and then um, couldn't be changed. Uh, Daniel, for example. Uh, that's why he wound up in the, the, the lion's den, right? <laughs> the king was sovereign. He made a law and it couldn't be changed. So, Habakkuk is describing his God as sovereign in his strength. Now, part of listening for, to God is to acknowledge or understand that God's giving us his time and attention. Now, how do you feel when somebody gives your time and attention? I'll tell you how my wife felt when that doctor gave her his time and attention. He didn't just say, okay, this is what we're going to do. He was personable. He talked to her. It, it, it brings intimacy in a positive way. It brings um, um, a feeling of worth, doesn't it? And it brings a concept of dialogue. Um, do you like to be around people that they're talking and all they want to do is listen? They don't want to hear, hear what you have to say? That's no fun, is it? But we don't have that kind of relationship with God. We have a dialogue. God listens to us, and then we listen to Him. So let me end with this question. Is your God sovereign? Is your God sovereign? Do you fret and worry about this and about that? Yeah, we can complain. Habakkuk complained. 
Did your political candidate not win this last election? And you're all upset about that? Then your God's not sovereign. Can you trust that God is in control of the universe? If not, you're not your God's not sovereign. That, you know, the Bible says government's going to come and go. Is God in control of that or not? Where do you go for your strength? If it's any place other than God, your God is not sovereign. So that's my prayer for everybody here and everybody watching, listening. That you would come to the place that our God would be your sovereign Lord. And my assignment for you for this week is to read this little book. It'll take you 10 minutes at most if you read it slow. It's just amazing how it speaks to us today. Because we look at what's going on in our culture and look at a society. And I don't know about you, but I'm complaining. I'm not liking what's happening. And wait a minute, wait a minute. But God, you're sovereign. It'll be okay. That's my prayer for you. Let me pray with you. Ah, Father God, it's so easy for us to doubt you, <laughs> to not trust you, to not believe that you're in control because a lot of bad stuff's happening. But you've proven over and over and over through Scripture and through history that you're sovereign. We even have a Bible verse that we quote often. All things work together for good. It means it doesn't matter how terrible thing, things look, God, you can bring something good out of it. You can make lemonade out of lemons. So God, I don't know everybody that's watching or listening. I don't know the, the, the lemons they have in their lives. Uh, not belittling them, belittling them, they may be really serious. But not trusting you doesn't make it any better. To not believe that you're sovereign doesn't make it better. Only having a sovereign Lord makes it better. Because I know it's going to be okay. This relationship, this health issue, this financial situation. If I trust the sovereign Lord, now I can screw it up, but if I trust Him, it's going to be okay. And Father God, we pray for anyone not, that doesn't believe that you're sovereign, that doesn't believe that you're even the Lord of their life. They don't have salvation. They, they've never come to the place where they've said, they believe they can do it themselves, whatever that is, it. So God, please, we would pray, we would beg and plead with you that you would help these folks come to the place of need. That they would understand and realize that they need a personal relationship with you. They need their sins forgiven. They need an eternity in heaven with you. And that you love them enough to send your son Jesus to die for them. And if they would just accept that gift, they would receive that eternal life and forgiveness for sin. You can pray that prayer. You can receive that gift. God... We face an uncertain week, but it's not uncertain to you. You are sovereign. Thank you. In Jesus' name, amen.